Good morning, everyone. Man, we are having a day at Journey. It's been incredible all morning long. We are finally in the month of March. Next week, we spring forward. We lose a little bit of sleep, but we get a lot more sunshine. I mowed my yard yesterday like I am ready for spring. Ready or not, here I come. Even if it's still a few weeks away, I cannot wait. And we are so glad that you are here today. For those of you who watched in a video service last week, thank you so much. Every Sunday that you watch in video teaching, I know it's not your preference, but your willingness uh, shows us that you're on mission with us. And every week you watch a video, we are one week closer to being in a building together. Uh, Next Sunday, we're actually calling next Sunday Difference Maker Update Sunday, Sunday, March 8th. I'll take the first two or three minutes of my message and talk about where we are in the building process. Our last kind of big announcement was during our Christmas services. We'll talk about what happened in January and February, where we are right now, when we can expect to break ground, and when hopefully within a 90-day time frame or so, we'll know when we can be in that building um, and be back together. But thank you for living on mission with us. We're in the final message of a series on King Hezekiah. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 today. 2 Chronicles 29 is where we'll hang out, actually 29, 30, 31, and 32, so you might keep your Bible open. Reach inside your bulletin, pull out the notes so you can follow along today, or maybe fire up your Journey Church International app so you can track that way. If you're brand new to our church, welcome. Thanks for being here. If you said, I don't have a Bible, I didn't grab any notes, I don't you know, have the app, everything that we teach will be on the screen as we go through it, just to kind of help your eyeballs see it while your ears hear it, and maybe help you understand it a little bit more. We've been studying this 13th king of the king kingdom of Judah. His name's Hezekiah. We've been studying the life of Hezekiah not so we can become experts on King Hezekiah. We've been studying the life of Hezekiah so we can learn how to walk with Jesus because Hezekiah walked with Jesus well. And here's what we've learned the last three weeks. His walk with God was built on three things. Number one, when we look at how Hezekiah walked with God, he had a deep and personal connection to and a deep and a personal commitment to scripture. He went back 700 years before he became king and grabbed a promise that if the kings of Israel would live according to the scriptures God gave his people, that they would have impact and they'd have spiritual success. So he said, I'm going to do that. He also, as we learned in our second week, number two, had a passion for and a participation in the public gathering of God's people together. They worshiped together. They brought the people together and they worshiped. We see in the New Testament God's church doing this on the first day of the week, which is Sunday in the Hebrew calendar, celebrating the fact that Jesus is alive, worshiping the God of heaven, celebrating the fact that through his Holy Spirit we can have communion with him and one day we'll be together with him. And then last week we learned maybe the most important part of Hezekiah's walk. We learned that Hezekiah had a group of people in his life who walked with God before him. So a generation ahead of him who was speaking into him, he had a, people, a group of people who walked with God beside him. He had friends, spiritual community, he had a small group, people that he was engaged with, and he had people beyond him spiritually. He had spiritual leaders who could help him with the difficult spiritual things in his life. We've learned a lot. Today, we're going to learn the rest of his story. Today's goals are to kind of round out this list. Here's what we're going to do today. Number one, we're going to look at the seven spiritual actions in Hezekiah's life that supported his walk with God is written in 2 Chronicles 29, 30, 31, and 32. The chronicler gave four chapters to the life of King Hezekiah, which is interesting because no king in the previous 11 generations was given more than two chapters. So the guy who wrote this book said, he's pretty important. You should learn about him. And what he gives us over four chapters are seven things that you and I can do to walk with God as well. When we end today, we're going to have a list of 10 things, not that you have to do, To be a follower of Jesus, that would be legalism. 
but that you can do to walk well with Jesus. That will make you a strong follower of Jesus. And then as we look at each one of these things, here's where the power of the message is. And number two, I'm going to ask you to honestly evaluate your walk and your willingness to grow in these areas of your personal faith. And here's, here's why this is interesting. So everything we look at, and this is going to be a message where we move quick, actually quicker than I would like to, but it's just what it's going to take today to get through everything. But after every area, I'm going to say, okay, Hezekiah did this. How are you doing in this area? And then I'm going to say, how would you like to do in this area? And I think that's where this message's impact lies, in your ability to be honest enough to say, okay, I'm not where I want to be in this area, but I want to do better, and figuring out how to move in that direction. I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time on any one point, so let me say this. How do I know if God's speaking to me today? If you leave here today and it feels like one of the seven things I was more passionate about, I spent more time on, I was really dogmatic on, really that was Jesus. My hope is that the Holy Spirit takes one of these things and kind of deeply plants them in your heart. That's the one that God wants you to go work on. That's the area that God wants you to move in because we're going to fly But if one of them just seems to really feel heavy to you, that's the one that God has for you. Before we ever open our Bibles at our church and read, we always try to ask God to open our hearts. Would you pray with me? Just bow your heads quickly. Would you take a deep breath as you close your eyes? And if you're a praying person, would you just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you ask God to speak to your heart today? God, that's our prayer that you would speak to our hearts today. Show us the things that Hezekiah did to walk with you. And give us the honesty to evaluate where we are in those areas. And give us the sincerity to be honest about whether or not we're willing to grow in those areas. That's our prayer. Those are our goals. Help us achieve them today, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Seven actions that Hezekiah had in his life that helped him walk with God. How we're doing in those how we're willing to grow in those. We're going to kind of walk through the four chapters of Hezekiah's life. We're going to see these things and just pick out a few verses at a time as we go through his story. The first thing we're going to learn this, Hezekiah in walking with God had this action. He removed sin from his life. Hezekiah removed sin from his life. As soon as we meet him in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, we read that he was a king in Israel who had a desire to pursue the heart of God so that he and his people might be connected with God. And here's one of the very first things that he did. Second Chronicles 29, 5, it said, he said, listen to me, Levites. Those were all the people that worked in the temple. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. If you want to walk with God, you have to be willing to remove sin from your life. I've heard that the first step of really going on any good diet that works is cleaning all of the junk food out of your pantry. So we started doing that. I'm not done eating it yet, but I plan to be probably by the end of March, that'll all be gone and we can consider having a diet, right? That's funny, but that's how a lot of us deal with sin. We're like, yeah, of course, of course I know there are things in my life as a follower of Jesus that should not be there. And when I'm done with them, I'll get rid of them. But that's not really the way it works. As a matter of fact, part of the act of repentance, repentance means to turn. Repentance means to turn around. Part of the act of repentance as a follower of Jesus is the action of the removal of sin from your old life. I think I would go as far theologically to debate with people that that maybe you can't even have repentance without removal of sin. There's got to be this awareness if you turn to God, you're turning away from things. I, I think I would, I would debate theologically whether or not you can truly be repentant without removing or being willing to remove sin from your life. 
And some of you say, I'm per- yes, I, I agree with that. I'm perfectly fine with that when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm done eating. But it's not our timing. It's God's as we choose to follow Jesus. There was a pastor 2,000 years ago named Paul. Uh, he started churches and wrote letters to churches and his friends to talk about how to follow Jesus. And he said this to his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and 21. He said, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Now, let's just look at that verse for a minute. Do you want to be useful to God? Do you want to be prepared spiritually to do what God has in front of you? Do you want to be special spiritually? All of us who are followers of Jesus would say, of course. Then Paul said, you have to remove the garbage from your life. You have to remove the sin from your life. Several years ago, I preached on this. This was, this was one of like the, the first, this, this theme was a message in my intern year of student ministry, 1999. So we're going back 21 years. And I talked to the students about how in the Old Testament, kings who wanted to follow God, they would clean out the sanctuary, but they would take all the idols in the sanctuary to the, the Hinnom Valley called Gehenna in Israel, and they would burn them. And one of the teenagers literally thought, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to burn my stuff. We had a pizza party um, after student ministry, and we were hanging out in the pool uh, eating pizza, and this kid shows up. His name was Scott. He came into the backyard, and he said, Pastor Christian, I need you to come with me. I need to show you something. I'm like, all right. I went to the trunk of his car. He popped the trunk of his car, and inside was all his junk. Um, inside was a trunk full of drugs. And when I say full of drugs, I mean full of drugs. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't just do drugs. He was the primary drug dealer at his high school, public high school that he went to in Johnson County. A lot of drugs, a lot of hard, hard liquor, some alcohol, but a lot of hard liquor. And then, and then a lot of pornography in the nineties, pornography was in magazine form, not in digital form yet. So he had his stuff and he said, I want to take all this and burn it. Will you, will you go with me? I I need to get this stuff out of my life. I want to follow Jesus. And I said, first, um, we should be careful because if like, if you burn the alcohol, it might blow up, um, on me and you we burn the drugs, we're going to get high, right? So like, it's like probably, I mean, we could burn the pornography, but how about we just get, like, how about we just get rid of it? How about we, how about we just dispose of it? And he was like, all right, that's awesome. Will you come with me? And I said, you know what? Like, I'll meet you there. Like I looked at the amount of drugs in the back of his car and I thought, I think we might get five to seven there on a rolling stop sign. So I tell you what, I'll meet you there and we'll dispose of it together. And I'll bail you out if you get stopped on the way there. But I get what you're trying to do. He's like, I want to follow Jesus, and I don't think I can do it with all this stuff in my life. Yes, that's the message of Hezekiah. If you want to walk with God and be used by God, the sin has to go. So, so look at your life. Rate your current walk here. How you doing? If you say, I'm trying to get rid of everything that I possibly can, give yourself a 10. If, you're, if, you're doing, if you think you're doing better than anyone else in this room, give yourself a 10. If you say, I'm really bad at this, I've invited Jesus into, into my life, but I've not turned from anything, give yourself a 1. That is not actually today the most important, I think, part of this rating. I think the second part is, rate your willingness to grow. Not just where you are, but where you're willing to go. Because a 10 in the willingness would say this, I'm willing to get rid of anything that Jesus doesn't want me to have. I know it'll be hard. I don't know if I can do it. But I'm willing. I'm willing to get rid of anything that Jesus says should not be in my life. Rate your willingness And if you say, I'm not willing to change anything, give yourself a one, but be honest because in your honesty, you're going to find your steps of spiritual growth. Hezekiah removed sin from his life. Number two, told you we were going to go quick. Number two, Hezekiah also had a personal 
and public practice of worship through singing. There's some man sitting out there saying, can't you just preach on sin the whole time? Like, do we have, like, do, do we have to talk about singing? We do. We do. Look at Hezekiah's life, 2 Chronicles 29, verses 27 through 30, as we just learn who he is and how he walked with God. We read this, Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the altar as the offering began singing to the Lord, began also accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly bowed in worship while the musicians played and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the sacrifice of the burnt offering was completed. When the offerings were finished, the king and everyone presented, present with him knelt down and worshiped. King Hezekiah and his officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed down and worshiped. All right, Christian, where, where are you going to go here? You're going you're gonna to tell me how to worship? No. No, I'm not, but I'm going to give you this challenge because this year is a year about movement in our church. Take your next step in worship. Take your next step. Hezekiah walked with God. One of the ways he did that was by worshiping. Take your next step in worship. For some of you, your next step is this. Show up on time. Like, that's your next step. Just get here for worship. It's your next step. Just get here on time. That, that would be a step forward. Um, for some of you, it's going to be to, to sing the words in your heart. Not out loud. Um, you don't have to move your mouth, but just to actually follow along, to hum while the worship is happening. For some of you, it's just going to be to smile. Um, because people on the stage, I'm a Christian, I think there's people out there who, when we're doing worship, they don't like me. I said, they don't, but you should know that. Like, they should smile. They should at least fake it. Like, for some of you, your next step in worship is to stop crossing your arms and glaring at the stage and just smile. These are good people doing their very best up here, whether you're not like, you like the song or not that they're singing. Um, for some of you, like, you're just, your next step is just to sing out loud. You've been humming along. You've been thinking, for some of you, like, your next step is to sing out loud. Or maybe your next step is to start thinking about the words that you're singing. What do they mean to you? Or maybe your next step is to start thinking about what the words teach you about God, how God sees you, how God loves you, who God is. Those are all next steps in worship. For some of you, maybe your next step is to take your hands out of your pocket. Maybe it's to raise your hands. Maybe you're like me and you grew up in more of a Baptist church and your first step of raising your hands is just to hold the Holy Spirit like right here by your side. Like you just have like, just like a little bird. Like if you're raised to not, if you're raised to not raise your hands, if you ever see anyone doing this in worship, they were raised like I was raised in church and they, they just want a little Holy Spirit. So they just is like, <laughs> Holy Spirit, as we sing, I just want you to sit right in my hand like a bird. And then you just put him away. I'm like, like whatever your next step is, just take your next step in worship. Rate yourself in this area. Rate your current walk. Let's, let's do today. If somebody would have watched you worship today, what's the score they give you? That's current. If somebody, the person sitting behind you today, what score would they have given you? That's your current. What's way more important than your current is your willingness. What's your willingness in this area to say, you know what? I don't want to do... I don't want to do what I like. I want to do what Jesus likes. Pastor Brandon asked me a question this week on the Activate podcast. It stumped me. Um, this rarely happens. We, we rarely, for those of you who listen to the Activate podcast, it, it's never edited. It's one conversation. We push play at the end. We push end and it's done. We never stop. Uh, and this week he asked me, he said, Pastor Christian, what would you say to the one man who's listening to this podcast who just doesn't get worship, he just doesn't want to worship? What would you say to him about why worship is important? And I said, I'm going to have to think about that for a minute. Can we, can we stop? Can we stop and get, can I have a few minutes? That's a, that's a really good question. They stopped. We had a little conversation. I said, all right, let's, let's start over. And Brandon and I had a, 
What a fun conversation about what I would say to people who say, well, I just don't like worshiping. I'd encourage you to check that out this week because Hezekiah had a life of personal and public worship through singing. And maybe that's a step you could take too. Action three, let's keep moving. Hezekiah stayed strong in the face of criticism. I really do believe with all my heart, for those of you who are here, for those of you watching online or maybe tuning in throughout the week, I believe God has some of you here today just for this point. This is like the only thing you need to hear today at church. Hezekiah stayed strong in the face of criticism. Because you're facing some spiritual criticism right now and you're trying to figure out how much it should impact your heart. In 2 Chronicles chapter 30, verse 10, Hezekiah told all his friends, hey, let's go invite everyone to church. Uh, he was actually inviting them to a, a festival called Passover. But he said, let's invite everyone who weren't kind of engaged spiritually. Let's invite them all to church. Let's invite them all to Passover. So he sent his friends all over the country to invite them. And in Exodus 30, 10, it said the couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. That's all the way up by the Sea of Galilee. But people scorned and ridiculed them. When we read the account in Kings, the people said, don't you know nobody's doing that anymore? <laughs> we don't do the church thing anymore. We're not, a, we're not a Jesus country anymore. You're crazy. That's like only for like spiritual freaks. No one's doing that anymore. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it says, a few came and were deeply impacted. I don't know if you know this or not, but you not only need to know it, you need to process it. Being a follower of Jesus in 2020 takes courage. Y'all know that, right? Being, being a follower of Jesus in 2020 who really gets it takes having courage in the face of criticism. There's, there's really no such thing as Christianity without criticism. There won't be much longer in the world that we live in. And because this is baptism month, and because courage is so important, I want to introduce you to a, a little girl in our church named Penny. I think her story will help you see a picture of courage. Some of you know Penny. Penny's nine. Um, she uses a wheelchair to get around. Uh, she serves every Sunday with her mom, Terry, uh, back in J-Kids. Um, and a few months ago, she decided she wanted to be baptized. In January, I got an opportunity to baptize her. Um, she doesn't have the ability to communicate verbally very well right now. Her mind is really sharp. Her heart is huge. But she communicates with her family through sign language. And her family said, Penny, let us know in the way she can let us know that she wants to be baptized. Because this is a month of baptism, because Christians have to have courage. Let me introduce you to Terry. And Penny, I want you to hear their story and I want you to see her courage. Take a look. Hi, Journey friends and family. Um, I wanted to give you a little background about how we got to this day today. One night I was going to put Penny to bed and I walk in and she's crying. She has tears just flowing down her face. And she kept saying that Jesus, that's how she says Jesus. She says the I love you. And she raises it up to heaven. She said, Jesus died. She kept saying it, Jesus died. And so I understood that she was remembering the story she has heard so many times. So I walked her through that story. We talked about it, talked about why he had to die and what that meant for her. And she kept telling me that, that she wanted Jesus in her heart. She kept saying me and Jesus. So I prayed with her. And uh, when we were done praying, she had the biggest smile on her face and she was laughing and so then we started talking about baptism and what that was and why we as Christians get baptized. And her answer was always a big no. She was too scared. She didn't want to do it. She had seen her sister Maggie get baptized and she knew that 
she had to go backwards under the water and go under the water. And Penny's never been under the water purposely for anything in her life. So um, as time went on, I would ask her periodically if she thought she was ready to get um, baptized. And she kept saying no, she was too scared. So finally, earlier this year, she uh, she said that she was ready. She was ready to get baptized. That's the sign for baptized. And uh, so I was like, okay, let's let's do this. But I knew that she wasn't ready to go under the water. She had never been underwater before. So over the summer, every time we'd swim, we would practice getting her face wet, going under the water. And finally, one day she let me tilt her back under the water. So I knew it was time. I knew she had found her courage and she was ready. But then it hit me, how am I going to, how is she going to share her story? I didn't want to write it for her. I wanted it to be in her own words, in her own way of communicating. So um, I thought, well, I could let her show you in her own testimony, in her own language with her signs. So this is Penny's testimony for you guys. Hi, you. What's your name? P. E. N. N. Y. Your name's Penny. And Penny, how old are you? You're nine years old. Oh my goodness, you're getting older. Penny, do you know why we're all here today? Why we're at church? What's going to happen? You're going to get baptized. Hey, Penny, why do you want to get baptized? Oh, because you love Jesus. Where is Jesus? Oh, he's in your heart. That's so special. Penny, what did Jesus do for you? He died for you, didn't he? Uh, does he love you very much? Yes, he does. Penny, what do you want to tell everybody that's going to be watching you get baptized? That you love Jesus. Uh-huh. And that he's in your heart. That's very special. I'm so excited for you. Because of your love for Jesus, because he's in your heart, it's my joy today to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bury you with my baptism. You are raised. Did y'all hear what Terry said? Penny found her courage. Some of y'all need to find your courage. Some of y'all need to find your courage. It takes courage in 2020 to live in the face of criticism for who Jesus is, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, what you believe is a follower of Jesus. Some of y'all need to find your courage. And because this is baptism month, we're not going to put it in the bulletin again. Every Sunday for a month, we've been talking to people about getting baptized. Some of y'all need to find your courage. It is your next step. I love what Nathan said. He preached a sermon. I wanted to show God how far I was willing to go for him. I would prefer not to do this, but I want to show God how far I would go for him. Some of y'all need to find your courage. Let's rate your current walk. How you doing? When criticism comes, cower or courageous? What's it look like? What's it look like? It, listen, it's not easy for me. This would be one of my lowest scores, right? 
as I rate my walk, but rate your willingness. I mean, how could all of us not want to be a 10 that in the face of criticism, we are strongest spiritually? Find your courage. Journey, find your courage. Hezekiah stayed strong in the face of criticism. Number four, let's keep moving. Hezekiah observed, maybe my favorite point. Hezekiah observed the rhythms of life God gave his people to enjoy God, family, friends, and spiritual celebrations. Hezekiah reached back and he said, we're going to follow God's word. And a lot of people say, man, if you follow the Bible, isn't that just a bunch of rules that restrict your life? No, actually it's filled with rhythms that bless your life and make your life better. Look at 2 Chronicles 30 verse 21. It says that the Israelites who were present in Jerusalem when Hezekiah was king, celebrated the festival of unleavened bread for seven days with great rejoicing while the Levites and priests praised the Lord every day with resounding instruments dedicated to the Lord. Part of following God's law was God's instruction to the people on Israel on how to live a life that was filled with celebration, celebrations of who God was, celebrations of who God gave you, his family and friends and spiritual community, celebrations of spiritual life. As a matter of fact, if you were to walk back through ancient Old Testament Israel, you would see a life in a calendar in a schedule that was filled with stopping to remember God, spend time with family, be with your spiritual community that was closest to you and rest for the days ahead. Even today in Israel, they celebrate these rhythms. Let's take a look at them. Every week, God says, stop and celebrate. They hold the weekly Sabbath in Israel. It's called the Shabbat from the first star in the sky on Friday until the first star in the sky on Saturday. They take off that 24-hour period and they say, this is our time to rest. It's our time to be with family. It's our time to be with spiritual community and to remember who God was in the early spring, right before they get ready to go to work, harvesting what was planted in the winter. They celebrate the feast of the Passover, also called unleavened bread. Today in Israel, it's called Pesach. This is a time eight days off from Saturday to Saturday that they say, before we go work really, really hard, we're going to take this eight days. We're going to rest. We're going to be with family. We're going to be with friends. We're going to spend time with spiritual community. We're going to remember God because life is going to get really, really busy and we don't want to forget him. And then 50 days later in the late spring, after the harvest was done and they were exhausted, they would rest again with the feast of weeks. What we know in the new Testament is Pentecost today in Israel is called Shavuot. It's because the, the Hebrew word seven is Sheva. This was seven weeks from the feast of the Passover. They would work really hard. And then they say, man, we worked so hard that seven days. Now we're going to take another seven weeks. We're going to take another eight days off Saturday to Saturday. We're going to rest. We're going to be with our family and reconnect with him because I worked a little too hard the last seven weeks. I'm going to be with spiritual community. I'm going to remember God as the summer ended and they got into the fall after harvest season again, they would celebrate the feast of weeks or uh, the feast of tabernacles or booths today in Israel known as Sukkot, where they basically have an eight day camp out from Saturday to Saturday to remind themselves that nothing material mattered. It was family God, spiritual community. Those are the things that were eternal. And then finally, the big day of atonement on our calendars today is Yom Kippur would remind the people that it was God who had paid for all their past, secured all their eternity. In Israel, this was a rhythm of life. Work hard, rest well, spend time with family and spiritual community. Remember God. Folks, I don't know about you, but I only see one of those things happening in the American church. Work hard. I don't see rest well. I don't see spend a ton of time with family and close friends, spiritual community. And sadly, there's not even a lot of remember God. We're just really busy. 
Pastor Rick Warren, who pastored at, pastors at Saddleback Church, he's written a book called The Purpose Driven Life. It's really, really popular, the best-selling nonfiction book in the history of American literature. Uh, years ago, gave rhythms of life for a follower of Jesus that I've never forgotten. He said, every Christian should depart daily, withdraw weekly, quiet quarterly, and abandon annually. Every Christian every day should stop, rest, connect with family, spiritual community, remember God. Every day, every Christian should withdraw weekly, have a day of the week where they rest, Rest in order to spend time with family, friends, spiritual community. Remember God. Quiet quarterly. Every Christian should go away, get away for a weekend. They would take three long weekends that ended up being six long weekends in Israel, more than quarterly for their feasts. Quiet quarterly. Get away. We even tell all of our volunteers, once a quarter, you're not allowed to come to church. You stay at home. Your kids stay at home. Don't do any sports. Just have one weekend a quarter where it's just you. Go to the lake. Go home. Turn all the phones off. Just spend time together as a family. Quiet your life quarterly and abandon annually. At least once a, a year, go away for a week or make the world go away for a week and you stay home. In Israel, they do it three times at the three feasts. You know, as we look at this area of life, if I were to ask you to rate your current walk, rate 2019 how you did in these areas... I think this is probably one area where we're all probably would rate ourselves the lowest, but hopefully would rate our willingness the highest. You know, I don't do this a lot, but gosh, I'd like for it to be a 10. My kids need for it to be a 10. My marriage probably needs for it to be a 10. I've not been a great friend to my friends at church. They probably would like for it to be a 10. My health, physically, my doctor would probably tell me it should be a 10. Hezekiah Observe the rhythms of life that God gave his people to enjoy God, family, friends, and spiritual celebrations. You should consider growing in this area. Number five. Number five, Hezekiah practiced personal generosity, and he led the people spiritually to the practice of tithing. One of my favorite Bible texts on giving comes from 2 Chronicles 31, verses 3 through 5. I want you to watch how this unfolded. See both the generosity of Hezekiah and what it can look like to be really generous as a people. It says in Hezekiah 3 through 5, the king contributed from his own possessions for the morning and evening burnt offerings and for the burnt offerings on the Sabbaths at the new moons and the appointed festivals as written in the law of the Lord. Now let's stop right there. All those five things I just showed you, um, Shabbat, uh, Pesach, uh, Shavuot, Sukkot, Yom Kippur, Hezekiah said, I'll pay for all those. I'll I'll take care of all those. Here's what I want the people to do. Verse four, he ordered the people living in Jerusalem to give the portion due the priest and the Levites so they could devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the order went out, the Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey. And all that the fields produced, they brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. Here's why I love this verse, because of the connection of these words. They brought a great amount, a tithe of everything. Now, I'm actually not going to talk about giving today. We have a radically generous church. When we asked for pledges for the building, we got more than anticipated. It seems like every year our people give more than the year before. We don't talk a whole lot about giving, but we have a lot of people who give really, really generously. But when you consider your spiritual legacy, I think everyone would say, man, I would like God to look at me. I would like people to look at me and say, man, they give a great amount. How much is a great amount? According to verse 5, a great amount is a tenth of everything. They gave a great amount, a tithe. That's a Hebrew word for tenth, a tenth of everything. See, I'd like to give a great amount. How much is a great amount? A tenth. You say, wait a minute. If I keep 90% of everything God gives me for myself and I only give back a tenth, God sees that as a great amount? According to that verse, yes, a tenth is a great amount. 
How are you doing in that area? I told you I wasn't going to talk long on it today. Rate your current walk. Right, some of you just got your contribution statement back because you're filing your taxes. 2019, a great amount? Any amount? How would you rate that? What's your willingness in 2020 to be more generous, to have a legacy of giving, maybe even to work towards a great amount? Hezekiah practiced personal generosity. He led the people spiritually to the practice of tithing. Number six, Hezekiah endured spiritual warfare in the face of spiritual movement. Hezekiah endured spiritual warfare in the face of spiritual movement. Second Chronicles 32.1, listen closely. It says, after all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. Now, I just did you a massive disservice because I read that verse without the tone, the emotional tone of the author. Right? We believe all scriptures God breathed, that it came from God through man, but inspired authors were written, and they often carried their own voice and their own personality. And if I were to read this in the voice and in the tone that the author of Chronicles was saying, he, here's, here's what you need to hear. The author of Chronicles was saying, in chapter 29, Hezekiah did everything right. And in chapter 30, Hezekiah did everything right. And in chapter 1, Hezekiah did everything right. And then in verse 32, after everything, after everything that he had so faithfully done right, life got turned upside down. Folks, you've got to feel the tension. Feel the tension in the author's point of view and be willing to be honest about your own voice and your own tension in seasons of life where you say, Christian, Christian, man, I've got to be honest, the last three chapters of my life, Christian... I've done about everything right. And look what God handed me. Christian, the last three chapters, Christian, the last three weeks, Christian, the last three months, Christian, the last three years, Christian, the last little period, I, I, did, everyth I did everything God asked me to do. And life got turned on its head. Help me understand how that works. Do you feel the tension in the author? After everything that he did, after everything he did right, after everything that he did right, man, the enemy still showed up. Hezekiah endured spiritual warfare in the face of spiritual movement. And here's what you need to understand. Spiritual movement is always met with a spiritual battle. Right? We, we said this in, in our building campaign. Spiritual movement is always met with a spiritual battle. He says, I want to make a commitment to read the scriptures this year. You're going to face spiritual opposition. I want to make a commitment to, to become a person of prayer this year. You're going to face spiritual opposition. I want to make a commitment to remove some sin from my life. You're going to face spiritual opposition. You say, well, I, want to make a, I want to make a commitment to try to, to, try to worship, try to hold the Holy Spirit by, by my side. I, I want to make a commitment to, to give or to, to give to the building. I, I want to make a spiritual commitment. That's great. But spiritual movement brings, invites spiritual battles. And the question is, will you endure when they come or will you quit because the tension of God after everything I did right, this is the outcome? How would you rate yourself when that season of life comes on you? When you do everything right and the enemy still comes, how would you rate how you respond to that? More importantly, how would you like to respond to that? It's hard 
It's kind of master's level Christianity to be able to wade through that. But how would you like to be able to respond? Hezekiah endured spiritual warfare in the face of spiritual movement. And then finally, number seven, Hezekiah put effort and he put hard work into his faith legacies. I think, you know, there ended up being 22 rulers of the nation of Judah, starting with David, ending with uh, Zedekiah, ended up being 22. Hezekiah is a really big deal in, in Christianity in the year 2020. You say, why? I think because of this one. I think because of this one. I, I think because of what he has left, we remember and celebrate Hezekiah more. He's, he's much more real than most because we can touch him. Look at 2 Chronicles 32, verse 2, verse 5, and verse 30. Hard work, great effort, spiritual legacy. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he intended to wage war against Jerusalem, here's what he did. Verse 5, two particular things. He worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it, he built another wall. If you have a pen, underline those two words, another wall. Outside that one, and he reinforced the terraces of the city of David. He also made a large number of weapons and shields. Look at verse 30. It was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything that he undertook. Question. Question for this point. What are you going to do spiritually that outlasts you? What are you going to be a part of? What are you going to give to? Who are you going to mentor? Who are you going to train? What are you going to do spiritually that when you're gone, remains? That's really this this last point. One of the reasons I love Hezekiah so much is because so much of him remains. My first trip to Jerusalem in 2012, I was walking through the streets of Jerusalem with my tour guide. Everything is worth seeing. Everything is something. And we, we were walking over a little bridge. Go to the picture if you would, guys. We were walking over a kind of a, a portion of road in the old city that was about as wide as this. And just down to the right, kind of just like off the stage, I saw this pile of rocks that very clearly had either been built in or reshaped into a wall. It's only about eight or 10 feet of it there. It would have been 40 foot high. And I asked him as we walked by, like I did with everything in Jerusalem, what's that, what's that, what's that? I said, what's that, what's down there? And he said, oh, that's the, that's the broad wall. Said it just kind of flippantly because he's seen it a thousand times. And he probably thought I didn't know what it was. Oh, that's the broad wall. And I stopped. I said, hang on. Like, like, Hezek- like Hezekiah's broad wall? That's, like, that's Hezekiah's broad wall? And he said, yeah, that's the, that's the broad wall. I said, wait a minute. So you're telling me when Israel was conquered in 722 BC and the people of Israel flooded down to live in Jerusalem rather than flee to Assyria, but there wasn't enough room for them in the walled city. So they all camped outside the city And they were okay until the Assyrians came against Jerusalem. And then Hezekiah said, we're either going to lose those people or protect them. So we have to build a whole new city wall so they can all be inside the city wall too. When he took care of all those refugees, like when Hezekiah did that, you're saying that is that wall. And he kind of almost with a yawn said, yep, yep, that's, that's one. And I looked at it and I thought, man, I hope I have the guts one day to do something that lasts. I mean, picture the conversation. Hezekiah's top officials come into him and say, listen, Assyria's coming. We're not going to be able to protect all the refugees who came down from northern Israel. They're exposed. What are we going to do? And Hezekiah said, we're going to protect them. They said, yeah, to do that, we would, we would basically have to, have to build a whole new city wall. Like we, We'd have to give them their own city outside the city. Hezekiah said, yep, do it. And he built a wall that's been uncovered and is there to this day. I stood and I thought, man, I hope, I hope one day I'm willing to do hard things that take great effort. 
that leave a legacy spiritually. A few days later, I would be in one of my favorite places in Israel, Hezekiah's Tunnel. This is my first of many, many trips in there. I had so much more hair eight years ago. Wish my shorts weren't rolled up so high. It's a little awkward as we look at the picture. I still use that backpack. It's my first trip in. I said, hey, take a picture of me. Right as I walked in, I said, hey, take a picture of me. That time through the tunnel and every time through the tunnel, I usually walk first. It's pitch black, almost pitch black. As I walk through the tunnel, I just run my hands along the chisel marks because you can tell two sides digging through a stone mountain. You can tell where they met each other by feeling the chisel marks. But as I walk feeling the chisel marks, I just think, Lord, Lord, forgive me for not putting in more effort spiritually. God, these guys were down here digging to provide for a whole city. Sometimes I can't get up 15 minutes early to read my Bible. Lord, forgive me. Lord, sometimes I can't stay up 10 minutes later to get on my knees and pray. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to do I'm going to do something hard that lasts longer than me. Man, I love Hezekiah. You know what we learn about Hezekiah? Every step that he took, all 10 that we've studied these four weeks, all of them took great effort. Connecting to scripture took great effort. Opening up the temple so people go, it took great effort. All of them took great effort. How would you rate your current effort? On a scale of one to 10, be honest. How much effort do you put into your walk with God on a daily basis? Is it a level one? Is it a level 10? Is it kind of a zero, a half? How much effort are you putting into your walk with God and how willing are you to grow? How willing are you to grow? How hard are you willing to work so that you might leave a big legacy spiritually? Because that is the story of Hezekiah. You know, as we look back at what we've learned the last month and today, really Hezekiah has given us 10 ways to walk with God in 2020. Now watch, you don't have to do this to be a follower of Jesus. That's legalism. You have to do this. You don't have to do these things to be a follower of Jesus. But if you are willing to do them, I think you'll walk closer to Jesus. I think you'll be a stronger follower of Jesus. 10 commitments to consider making. Make a commitment to learn and follow scripture. Make a commitment to gather with God's people for worship. Make a commitment to walk with others in spiritual community. Make a commitment to remove the sin from your life. Just don't burn it if you can smoke it. Um, Number five, make a commitment. Make a commitment to sing and worship when the music is played. At least smile at the people on the stage. Make a commitment to stay strong when your faith is criticized. Find your courage. Hey, remember Penny Rank and find your courage. Make a commitment to honor the rhythms of rest and spiritual celebrations God's given us. Depart daily, do it. Withdraw weekly, quiet quarterly, abandon annually, annually. try it, see what happens. Make a commitment to practice generosity as you work towards tithing. A tenth is a great amount. Make a commitment to endure spiritual warfare when movement creates battles. After everything that you did right, yes, the battle's coming but God is strong. Make a commitment to give enough effort to build something in your faith that lasts. Every step that Hezekiah took, took great effort. But watch this. Here's the grand finale. Hezekiah's great effort was always followed by a greater power. Hezekiah's great effort was always followed by a greater power. Look at 2 Chronicles 32 verses 7 and 8. Hezekiah says to his people, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Listen, folks, from the Chronicles, 
to the Christ. The power of God is with those who will walk with him. And through Jesus, you have the opportunity to do that. If you know Jesus, Hezekiah shows us how to walk with him faithfully. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to invite you to know him today. I'd love to invite you to open your heart and make a step of commitment to begin to follow him for the forgiveness that he offers, for the greater power that he brings, for the eternal life that he reserves for those who are connected to him. If you don't know Jesus, it'd be my joy to introduce you to him today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we consider those things? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but hearts are open. If you're here and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, greater power is waiting for you. You say, how do I do that? It's as simple as ABC. Admit that you need God. Believe that Jesus was real, that he loves you, he gave his life for you. See, confess that your past needs forgiveness. Your present needs direction. Your eternity needs a savior. If that's your heart today, you say, I'm not connected to Jesus, but I'd like to be. I don't have the power of God in my life, but I would like to. I've never been forgiven, but I need to be. If that's your heart today, pray right now. And tell God what you're feeling. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. You can repeat this prayer after me. Open your heart to God. If you don't know Jesus, maybe today is your day to take a step to follow him. Pray this from your heart to heaven. God, just repeat after me in your own heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. God, I admit that I need you and your greater power. I believe by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I feel in my heart that it's true. I believe by faith that Jesus loves me, that he gave his life for me on the cross, and that he was raised from the dead to defeat eternal death for me. I confess that I need forgiveness for the sins of my past. Anything and everything that I've done that you would not have wanted me to, I need you to clean me up from the inside out. I need direction for how to live in my present. And I need a savior to give me eternal life when I die. God, by faith, I want to commit to follow Jesus today. I accept his invitation to become one of his followers. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer, I believe greater power has been connected to you through the God of the universe, through his son Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, which I believe has, in a very real way, molded itself with your human nature today. If you're here and you prayed with me, I'd like to pray for you. I don't at this time want to ask you to do anything that might make you feel vulnerable, might make you feel embarrassed, it might make you stand out. But with every head still bowed and every eye still closed, if you did pray with me, in a second I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to keep it up for just a second, even if there's just one of you in the room. And then I'm going to just say a quick prayer for you and the new power, the new forgiveness, the new direction you have in your life as you begin to walk with Jesus. If you prayed with me a moment ago, would you let me pray for you on the count of three? Would you raise your hand and let me know? One, two, three right now. Just raise your hand all over the room. There are people in every section. Leave them up. I'm just going to count them so you know when I want you to put them down. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. You can put your hands down. God, thank you for these 17 people who, Lord, have greater power. 
if they've truly stepped into a relationship with Jesus. Let them, Lord, feel the forgiveness that you offer. While I cannot explain that, I've experienced it. I pray that they will as well, that they literally will feel that they've been made brand new on the inside. God, I pray that they will feel you with them. Again, I can't explain that, but I've experienced it. I pray as they leave, they will just wake up tomorrow and think, man, I really feel like God is still with me. And Lord, as they begin to live life tomorrow, let them live with a new direction, a new voice in their conscience and in their soul, directing them to be who you would want them to be, to do what you would want them to do. Lord, give them greater power as they walk with you. Thank you for their step of faith today. Now, heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. If you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus, where do you need to move? In what area are you less than a 10? In what area is your willingness less than a 10? Those are your areas. Pray for strength. Acknowledge humbly where you need to grow. Ask God to help give you movement in your life. Find your courage and move. God, thank you for Hezekiah's life and his walk with you. Help us to walk with you like he did so we might experience a greater power just like he did that's available through Jesus. We love you. And God, we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. Hey, Journey, would you put your hands together for 17 people today who said, hey, today I'm going to connect to the greater power of Jesus. There you are, Mike.